0: First John chapter five, <clears throat> starting in verse eleven. First John chapter five, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. I'll talk to you this morning. Was Christ's death enough? 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says, and this is the record. You're reading the written record right in your Bible. This is the record that God hath given to us, not is giving, but hath given to us. What kind of life? I, I heard five of you. Say it with me aloud again. Eternal life. And this life is where? In His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. I'll ask you again this week, do you believe on the name of the Son of God? Let me see your hands. All right, listen to what it says to us, that ye may know that you're going to have eternal life. Did I read it wrong? It does not say that you're going to have eternal life. What does it say? That you have eternal life and that you may just believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, uh, some people see hope for heaven this way. They will loudly proclaim, just believe on Jesus and you'll be saved from your sin, hopefully. Hopefully. If you're good enough to the end. That doesn't sound very good. You know why? Cause they, they believe this last half, but they only tell the first half. Oh, believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. But what they mean is, but then you gotta live it. And then you gotta keep it. And then you gotta be good enough. So keep believing. You can't stop believing. No, no, as long as you keep the faith, you'll be fine. Hmm. Ask Peter that. Once you believe that Jesus paid for your sins, this is what they'll say. You need now to get to work doing these following things to stay forgiven. So keep believing. Do lots of righteous things. Sounds like Catholicism to me. Make sure that you keep all the laws of God now without fail. As long as you live righteously, continuously, you will be fine. Make sure you never sin willfully. By the way, how many of you sin willfully? Come on. But make sure you don't sin willfully. They love that phrase. Because according to the Bible, if you sin willfully, all the righteousness you've done is dumped. I can't do any righteousness. Amen. So, don't worry about me worrying about keeping my righteousness. It stinks. So if I sin, I can lose all my righteousness in a heartbeat. That's no problem. I have his righteousness. Are you with me? Okay. So, but this is how a lot of people are. And the Bible teaches this phrase, which is all over the internet and all over people's minds. (gasps) Once saved, always saved. What a wonderful doctrine. What a wonderful truth. Once saved, always saved. In much of modern pop theology, no one is really saved from their sin and the punishment of their sin until they no longer can sin. Now, did you hear that? As long as you can sin, in people's minds, you can lose your salvation. So the only time you can actually say that you're saved is when you no longer can sin. We're all doomed. We're all doomed. In a lot of people's minds, God gave them forgiveness for past sins, but he owes them forgiveness for present sins as they work at it. But not me. Guess what? God owes me nothing. He didn't even owe me. He didn't even have to save me. He didn't have to give me security. He didn't have to do anything, and yet He did. Bible believers need to know and rest in this truth, and so that's why I'm teaching it. I love it. If once saved, always saved is not true. And I started this last week, so if you need to see some of the background, go to last week's message in the podcast or on the website. But if once saved, always saved is not true, then mankind, watch this, is saved by both your faith, you believe in Jesus, yes, good. At first, I had faith at first, and our works over time, instead of faith alone for all time. How long did it take? Now, this is kind of a complicated question for some of you. But when you were born the first time, did you get over it? Yeah, it's a done deal, amen? And when you got born again, was it a done deal? Or is it still in progress? <laughs> I don't want to think about it. We, if, if once saved, always saved is not true, then we have to try to do enough good as a Christian now, to outweigh our sinful natures. How many of you have a sinful nature still? I'm still. I'm trying to nail this thing down. You still have a sinful nature. You still have this, in, this thing inside of you like metal to a magnet. Temptation still gets you. So we have to try to do good enough good to outweigh our sinful natures after we claim to be born again, when we couldn't live that way before we were born again. You couldn't keep from sinning. You couldn't be good enough before you're saved. Believe me, you can't be good enough after. All right? And if once saved, always saved is not true, then you never know whether you are saved. And that really is a bothersome type of Christianity. It's definitely not Bible Christianity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, there's a bad spirit in Christianity. Pop culture has brought in lots of crazy doctrines. But there's one great fundamental truth that sure can settle the heart. So many people have an uncertainty. Did they pray right? Did they, did they um, say the right words? Did they believe all that they need to believe? All of the things that, that the devil s- stirs up in human hearts. What we have to do. instead of what Christ did. Lord, I pray that this morning you would settle some people's hearts. Are they saved? Or do they now need to be born again? And if they're saved, they are and forever will be secure. Take away any self-confidence, any self-righteousness among Christians. Strip away anything that we would hold to to say, I'm living it. Because Christ is my life. It's not the other way around. Lord, you work as only you can in every need, answer every heart's issue by the Bible this morning. Save somebody, both from their self-righteousness and from their sin. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just nail the first point. you, it is, it is impossible to save yourself. I hope you believe that. I know this generation doesn't like thinking about sin, doesn't like there to be absolutes, Doesn't like to think about God and heaven. Definitely don't want to talk about hell. But folks, I want to tell you, from the first, we are sinners. Go to Romans chapter... uh, Go to Psalm 51 first, and then Romans chapter 3 in your right hand. First, Psalm 51. Psalms 51. Why do you keep going to the Bible? Why do you keep showing us Bible verses? Because... I don't like just giving my opinion. I don't want to hear yours. I want to hear God's. Psalm 51, in verse five. Behold, I was shapen; I was fashioned. Paul, talk, sorry, David talking. I was shapen in what? I know when you have a baby, and this little baby's being held by its mother, and everybody, all the family's coming by, and they're going to say, "Oh, he's the most beautiful baby ever." Yeah, but he's a sinner. It says that I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I'm not talking about the process of conceiving. It's talking about from conception, guess what you are? A sinner. From birth. You come out and all you think about is you. (laughs) You cry out and you say, feed me, birth me, change me. It's all about you. Some of you are still there. But we're sinners from birth. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 now. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how many are sinners? Okay. Secondly, there is none righteous enough. There is none righteous. Verse 10. Still in chapter 3. Go back to verse 10. The Bible says, as it is written... There is none righteous, nobody good enough, no, not one. Well, What about Mother Teresa? No, not one. What about Pope Pius IX? No, not one. What about no, not one? There's none righteous. You're not good enough to get into heaven. You know, I met a lot of people, used to be people used to talk about different things and talk. Now, unless you're on Facebook, you can't talk about anything. Uh, but I used to talk to people, people say they believe in heaven, they believe in hell, but they'd say these words, they go, I'm, I'm definitely not good enough to go into heaven. But I'm definitely not bad enough to go to hell either. <laughs> you go, folks, we're not good enough. End of story. There's none righteous. Thirdly, all our righteousnesses, notice the word, all our best of our efforts are as filthy Rag. So imagine, let's go to Isaiah chapter 64. While you're turning there, imagine I'm changing the oil on the car. And I go inside and I get me an old t-shirt. And I take out there and I work underneath the car and I'm trying to get things loose and trying to change the oil and oil's all over and grease is all over that rag. And I come in and my wife says, would you mind drying the dishes? So I pull that old t-shirt out of my back pocket and I start drying the ware. Would you? Would you think that'd be a proper thing to do? That's a filthy rag. And my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. <clears throat> Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. As an unclean there is an unhealthy thing. Like something, you know, can you imagine, uh, uh, somebody sneezes really violently into a handkerchief and says, here, can you hold this? (laughs) It's an unclean thing. But we are as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know, he's not talking about how bad your sins are. He's talking about how bad your good works are in the eyes of God. We have a nature that rebels against God and fights God and breaks God's laws and sins against not only each other, Thankfully, I've never seen it. But I'm sure some of you have gotten here about the same time, and you started to curse the person who took your parking space. We do. We sin against each other. But more importantly, we sin against God. We forget that. We are all guilty of a lifetime of sin. There's no denying And there's no way for any guilty criminal to pay off a lifetime of sins. Say, well, I know I've done wrong. What you're not admitting is that you've always done wrong. Yes, you've done some good things, but your life is filled with a life of sin. And because we sin, we are guilty. And because we are guilty, we will come under the righteous wrath of the judge of all the earth who will judge us one day. Hebrews 9, to the right. Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 27. Some of you get late for church. Some of you are late for work. Some of you are late for dinner. You will not be late for this appointment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the... All right. I hope you believe it's impossible to pay off all your sins. Make yourself good enough to enter into God's presence by your own goodness. I hope you know that it's impossible because that would be really silly. And because it's impossible for you to pay for your sins, that's why God had to do it. That's why I believe God's a good God. You say, well, God's letting me go through hell on earth right now. He's not sending you to hell yet. And if he lets you go through trials and struggles to get you born again, you'll thank him one day. You'll rejoice and shout and dance and hop and skip and praise God for all eternity. Because you're free, you've been made forgiven. Now, the word God did to save you, and by the way, it didn't just save you, but you can save anybody in the world. Very simple, he had to enter into our world. I can't find him. No, no secret passageway to God. He had to come my way. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He came our way. You know, he was born as a baby. Can you imagine how humiliating that would be? Let's take Gavin for a second. How old are you? He had to think about it. 25 years old. Let's take Gavin with a 25-year-old brain. And let's disconnect his vocal ability to speak. Let's take away his ability to not go to the bathroom. Let's take away his ability to to um uh you know to express himself and let's squish him back into a baby and leave him there for the next two years. You think you'd go demented? Waiting for mom to come pick you up? I mean, Jesus became a baby and waited to grow up. Jesus had to have his nappy changed. Jesus was played with like a baby when he was the Son of God. You think of the humiliation of Him coming into our world, and then He grew up. He had to grow up. Remember, remember when you were 14 years old, how long it took for you to get 15? JC, wherever he is, remember how long it took to get to 16. Jesus had to experience. When, when, what did God have to do to save me? he had to enter into this world and he had to patiently do everything right he kept all of god's laws perfectly go to matthew now matthew chapter 5 one of the accusations that everybody was throwing against jesus was oh you're trying to get rid of all the laws you're trying to to say that we don't have to live by the laws listen to what he says in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 <clears throat> Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but what did he come to do? To fulfill. I came to keep them. You know why? Because Craig Ledbetter can't. Lily Greeny can't. Especially Gavin can't. He faced all the temptations that you and I constantly face, and yet he did not sin. He ended the ability of the law to condemn believers, how? By living it for everyone that would just believe. He kept all of God's laws. He also suffered as a sinner. I've heard some weird pop doctrines, but the one that's currently going around today is that Jesus suffered in hell. Can you imagine? He cries out, "It is finished!" Uh, not yet, after I suffer in hell. No, no, no. He was not a sinner. In the old days, when you were put in prison, they always posted outside the wall of your, your prison door a list of all the crimes that you have been judged as being guilty of. So if somebody came by, they would look in there and say, he was a thief, a repeat offender, um, uh, he has, he has uh, murdered, he has all these things. And inside you look in there and go, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and you walk on your way, filthy, wicked criminal. All right. I can understand that with people who've been found out to be guilty and have been convicted and put in prison and that list on there. But can you imagine the Son of God never doing anything wrong and then God taking the list of Leo Linan and Craig Ledbetter and Selene O'Callaghan and putting that list outside of that prison wall and you're looking in and saying, it's Jesus that is condemned for our sin. That's what he had to do. He never once sinned, and yet he was condemned as if he had sinned. What did God do? What had to be done? See, I deserve to be on that cross, and so do you. I deserve to die and spend eternity without hope, without God. So instead of me being abandoned, Jesus was. Jesus didn't have to go to hell. He finished the whole work on the cross. That's why he cried out, it is finished. And He suffered everything that it would take, To suffer for sin on the cross. Amen. He died as a substitute. Oh, let me take it. I have to show you this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ hath also also hath once suffered for sins. That's a lot of z's. <laughs> Lots of sins. The just, he being just, for the unjust. That's me. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. And boy, did he experience death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Uh Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." He suffered as a sinner, and he died as a substitute lamb. Hebrews, go back a few pages, chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, in verse nine. Hebrews two nine says, "But we see Jesus." was made a little lower than the angels. He stepped down from heaven, stepped down from the throne, came below the level of angels into our realm. Why? For the suffering of death. You afraid of death? You ought to be. But if you're born again, he suffered death so that no more sting, no more threat of death can apply to us. He said he came a man for the suffering of death. He's now crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, he should taste death for how many people? Did he taste death for you? Even when you were unsaved? He did indeed. That's the reason why he came. He took the place of us. And here's the most amazing part. He died once. Uh, Hebrews 7, you're in Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Circle these words, or at least this one word. (laughs) Hebrews 7.26 For such a high priest became us, was good for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily as as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. What were the Old Testament priests doing? Constantly offering up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the people's for this he Jesus did how many times you ought to circle that when he offered up himself we'll go down to chapter 9 verse 12 <clears throat> neither by the by the blood of goats and calves like they did under the old testament but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. So is he now obtaining redemption? No, he already got it. And he's turned around and he's given it to us. He's already gotten it, folks. In Catholicism, he is still working at it. and still working at it. And pouring it out in little bits and dribs and drabs. I got the whole package, folks. I got what Christ died to give. He died unto sin once. I ought to nail it for you. Look at chapter 9, verse 26 now. nine twenty-six. Verse 25. Nor yet he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he, Jesus, often have suffered since the foundation of the world. He should have been dying from the foundation of the world. But now, what's the word? Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 10, chapter 10 and verse 10. Verse 9 says this, Hebrews ten nine. Then said he, Jesus, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And take away the first, the first sacrifices in the first testament. That he may establish the second. And by that which will, that same will where he says I come to do thy will. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? I like that word once. You know, it's only one syllable. I can understand it. Amen. I like one syllable words. Once. Look at verse 26. Still in chapter 10. A lot of people have problems with this verse. In context, this is one of the most beautiful verses there are. Chapter 10 of verse 26. For if we sin willfully, I'll ask you again, how many of you sin willfully? Okay. Now, who is speaking here? Paul. If we believers sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, guess what? How many sacrifices are there by Christ? Good. Then there's no more. Which means his had to be enough. There's the remain of No more sacrifices. There's nothing more. So, oh, I just sinned. Oh, you don't know what I just looked at. Oh, you don't know what I just drank. You have no idea. I went back to the drugs. That sacrifice was once, and it had to have been good enough, or else it was a waste, because God knew you were going to mess up. God knew you couldn't live it, and you couldn't be good enough. There is no more sacrifice for sins, and there's no need for sacrifice anymore for sins, because once was good enough. Amen? And amen. He died for sin once. He paid for, by the way, absolutely every sin. 1 John, to the right. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. 1 John 3, 5 says, And we know, I hope you know this, That he was manifested in the flesh. He became flesh to take away our what? Don't put in there, take away my past sins. But he hasn't taken away my future. That is stupid theology. Did you know every sin to Jesus was future? He came to take away my sins. Past, present, future. Just believe it. Isn't it wonderful? He died for absolutely every sin. Chapter 2. Still in First John chapter 2 and verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a wonderful Bible word. It just means the full payment. I've given the illustration a thousand times, but if, Little Johnny and his dad are out there, and they're hurling. They're playing hurling, and little Johnny gets a really strong, wing, uh, strong swing, and he hits that slitter, and he goes over and Mrs. Murphy's back garden, bounces, and breaks the window in the sitting room. Little Johnny runs. <laughs> Daddy grabs him. Mrs. Murphy looks out after looking at all the glass broken, looks out and sees it's just little Johnny. He goes, "It's okay, Johnny. You're forgiven. No problem." That's, one, that's a nice Miss Murphy, nice neighbor, amen? But the window still has to be paid for, right? All right, God could have just said, you're forgiven, oh, you're forgiven, oh, I love you so much. He could have said that, but all the breaking of God's law still has to be paid for. So forgiveness does not take away the price of our sin. And so Jesus didn't just forgive us of our sins, he propitiated, he paid in full for our sins. Does that put hair on the back of your neck? It does, it does everything to understand he fully paid for our sins. If I have to pay for any of them, I'm doomed. End of story. He paid for absolutely, he is the propitiation for our sins as Christians, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of, that's a lot of sin. I mean, if I had a little x-ray machine and had, and was able to find out all the sins in your life, you wouldn't like it. What about the sins of the whole world? Unfound. And yet he paid for. How many of them? All of them. Hmm. He made us righteous. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Acts 13 verse 38. Paul is preaching. Acts 13 38. Acts 13, 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that work and keep the faith and stay right are justified from all things. Did I kind of change the Bible? I sure did. Let's read it like it really says. And by him all that believe are From now on, justified from how many things? Does that include the past things you've done? Does that include the things you're now struggling with? And could it mean that that includes the future things you haven't even thought of doing yet? We are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. We've been made righteous. We've been made right in God's sight. You may not look much to me or to anybody else, but if you've been born again, you're righteous to God. And it's not because you're good. You know what you are? You're in Christ. I get this idea. Um, when God looked at me before I was saved, all he saw was a sinner. That's all he could see. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit actually took everything about me and hid me in Jesus Christ. God, the righteous judge, now looks and he says, Is that led better? He looks like my son. I see no spot in him. <laughs> and I'm in there going, I'm not moving. <laughs> because this is the best place in the world to be. I'm in Christ. And Christ is righteous. Amen. I'm in his Righteousness. I I have a relationship with God because He's my door. He's everything I've ever needed. That's why I follow Him. He made me righteous. Not that He made me perfect. See the difference? You know when you get married, you know what you think. Oh, She's married, Mr. Perfect. We're going to have a perfect relationship. She'll fix perfect meals. I will come home at the right time. I will always do everything she asks. Boy, that lasts 10 minutes. (laughs) Just because two people got married didn't make them any better at all. As a matter of fact, two agitated sinners put together make two really (laughs) agitated sinners. You need a third party in there, Jesus Christ. But you know, when I got saved, he didn't all of a sudden sprinkle fairy dust on me and make me (laughs) Mr. Perfect. But he sure made me Forgiven and righteous in his eye. I'm forgiven, folks. <clears throat> Made us righteous. He brought us into the family of God. I can't understand how we go through life and we think we're alone. When you are not alone, he'll never leave you and forsake you. You are seated in the heavenly places, Ephesians says. You have the ability to talk to God. You go days and weeks without it. You're in the family, folks. A believer, in a moment, is instantly born again. That's why Jesus said to the old man, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, see, Jesus, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them to just simply believe on his name. Salvation puts us in the family of God. What is God doing? What is he doing with all this? He's doing everything to make sure I am thoroughly saved. And he keeps us. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And then we'll go to Jude. The second last book. 1 Peter 1.5. Let's go back to uh, verse 3. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, born us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Where is my inheritance? It's not down at AIB. It's reserved in heaven for you. And it's for you who are, what's the next word? Say it louder. Louder. Well, I got six people. How about everybody saying, who are kept by the power of themselves. Thank you. They're kept by the power of God. How powerful is God? All powerful. We say there's some sins that, I'm telling you, there's got to be some sins that, no, there's no sins. There is nothing that can break the power of God. You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is looking forward to His coming back and the future where I'm going to be put back together as a body, soul, and spirit with a new body, but I'm kept. Go to Jude, just before Revelation. Jude chapter 1 and verse 24. You know, sometimes there are certain prayers that you can pray. And this is a good one to pray. Lord, keep me from falling. Because he's able. Now, he doesn't say, keep you from from losing it. But I want you to understand, uh, because it doesn't need to go that far. But look at what he says. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And what is he able to do? To present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. The emphasis is not on you having to be faultless. The emphasis is on you letting Him keep you faultless, present you faultless. That's why He chastens us. That's why He gets us out to church and sometimes upsets us and gets us all agitated by the Word of God is because He's trying to work out the kinks in our life so that we come like a bride with every wrinkle and spot gone. Like that bride coming down the middle aisle there, she's perfect. And that's what we're gonna be. Because he keeps us. And he it gets even gooder. Go back to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven verse twenty five. Hebrews seven twenty five. Wherefore he, Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost. I want you to understand what uttermost means. It means to the extreme. The most impossible person, the Bible says, he is able to save them to the extreme, to the worst, to the most impossible, that come unto God by him, Jesus, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So what's Jesus Christ doing right now for you, Bill? He's praying real hard for you. <laughs> You've got him on your side. Now, the devil was getting ready to take on Peter. who was going to really make mints out of Peter coming up to the crucifixion. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you again. That's okay. I'm praying for you. And when you're finished, when this is all said and done, you'll be a strength to your brethren. Amen. And the point is this. Right now in heaven, we have a mediator who is praying for us and will not let us go. Amen. Or else He's wasting His breath. If I can get out of His control, if I can get out of His security, He's wasting His time. Think about it. And it's all because of grace. Can you say Ephesians 2, 8, 9 with me? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't boast about getting saved, and I definitely can't boast about staying saved. Those three words, it is finished, are the best words in the entire Bible. I'm glad God loves me, but God's love had to be acted on. He had to do something, and he had to finish the job. When was it finished? Is it finished when I die? Is his work finished when I finally get sin conquered? When was it finished? On the cross. That's why I can tell somebody, just believe it. And it's done. Just believe it. And his record of you is washed away. And you're his child from that moment on. Hallelujah. The The work that brought us salvation, I found somebody who drew a picture of a daddy holding his child's arm. the work that brought us salvation is the same work that keeps us saved. Bingo. None of those results of faith that we saw can ever be undone. It cannot be undone by our failures to live holy lives. They can't be undone by any sinful act that I may do, nor by any lack of faith later in my life, because none of the above gifts are granted because of our abilities. i giving you an illustration. Some of you are young. Let's put you you're 89 years old. Don't be I hope nobody's eighty-nine. I picked the age, I hope nobody's that. But you're eighty-nine years old and you're in the hospital. You don't remember your name. You don't remember your children. You don't remember being married. And you don't remember being saved. Are you still saved? Oh, but they have no faith. Do you understand? It is Christ that saves. There had to have been a time where somebody made a decision, looking to Christ, empty, destitute, lost, but believing that Jesus died for them. And that had to be enough for the rest of their life. Or you got a lot of dementia people who are going to hell. You're going to live with that? You're going to try to justify that? It don't work. You can't undo it just because you stop believing or just because you commit some heinous sin. Believe me, there's no justification for committing sin. Let me tell you, it's not going to send you to hell anymore. The Lord tells us in Hebrews, eternal life is a present possession for the Christian. If you believe Jesus Christ died in your place, then you have, we read it in 1 John chapter 5, you have eternal life right now. You cannot go to hell now if even you tried. Yep. Nod your head. You can't go to hell now if you try. You say, but what if I went out and murdered somebody? I hope you die in the electric chair. <laughs> Amen. You should be punished here for a crime that you commit. I don't care if it's saved or lost. But your soul is what we're talking about. We're not dealing with your stupidity and your sin. We're dealing with, did Jesus die for sin? Yes. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for people who would live it. He died for sinners, ungodly sinners. And if he died for ungodly sinners, and if they happen to be ungodly after salvation, it's good enough. You couldn't go to hell if you tried. You'll probably go to heaven real fast, though. Early. The Lord Jesus tells us in Hebrews that he hopes to never leave you. I'm quoting from a different Bible. The the, the C I V, the Craig International Version, no. What does the Bible say in Hebrews thirteen five? Go there. You're in Hebrews nine, go to Hebrews thirteen. Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation be without covetousness. What do you talk about all day? Oh I wish I had this. Oh I hate my car. Oh I wish I had a better job. Uh, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? For he hath said, he has promised, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a lame promise if he says, unless you blow it. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I ain't, I ain't pulling out on you. Well, I might pull out on God. Go right ahead and try. He's not letting you go. Thank God. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. He'll never leave and forsake his people. And that's worth believing Devil's robbed a lot of Christians of their joy because they, don't, they can never rest that it's done. The only thing to do to be saved. Well, what must I do to be saved? Nothing. Isn't that reassuring? Just believe that Jesus died for you in your place because he did it all. And then accept, accept his life for yours as a gift. He gave you his life. You gave him your sin and look what it cost him. He gives you his life and look what you get away with. Wow. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ I think is the phrase that Paul and Silas said to that Philippian jailer who came into the prison there trembling and saying, what must I do to be saved? And all Paul and Silas could say is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and hope to be saved. He didn't say that, did he? And thou shalt be saved and get your whole house saved. Go to John chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6 in verse 27. John, the gospel of John chapter 6 in verse 27. Labor not, don't work for the meat which perisheth. You know, there's a lot of things in, in farming we don't understand. Uh, Nita and I have had a little bit of experience where our fridge freezer died. Freezer works great. I mean, there are Eskimos living in there. Penguins and the whole works. But the fridge, nothing. You know, you work, but put, put it in your mind, people who farm and they, they get the crops, they, they, they try their best to get them in to, to, um, uh, silos on time and, and get them all processed and, and, uh, 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 separated from the chaff. They do all that because if you don't do it in time, it spoils. It goes off. And all that effort is wasted. And Jesus said, labor not for the feed, for the meat, for the food which perisheth, but labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the Father, have God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, Wow, well, what shall we do that we might do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him who may have sent. He stops them right there. He says, Just trust me. Just climb on my back and let me take you all the way home. What well, do you have to be to be saved? Just believe that he did it all. I'm sorry, people don't understand. I don't understand. How, how does that save me? It just does. By believing in such a powerful event when you don't deserve it, it frees you from sin, frees you from judgment, and makes you ready to enter into the presence of God because Jesus then steps in and gives you the gift of eternal life just because you asked for it. Let him save you today. Wouldn't it be sad to come into a church like this and hear week after week after week, please get saved? Won't you get saved? Why not today? And then you go off here and you get into a car wreck and you go off into eternity and there's no second chances. Salvation is settled. It depends only and completely on Jesus' four thoughts. Number one, that means salvation is not yours to lose. Your salvation is based entirely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, not you. He died, not you, thankfully. He rose again victorious over sin and death. He intercedes right now for all of us as our mediator. And folks, perfection is not expected of us anymore. I've been placed into perfection. I've been placed into Christ. You didn't earn salvation by any work of your own, and you can't lose salvation by any work of your own. Salvation is not yours to lose. You say, well, I got it. Yeah, he put it in you, but he sealed it in. It ain't leaking out. It means Jesus promises to keep us saved. My life verse is Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He won't stop working on me. He'll finish the job. You say, well, I'm kind of failing. He'll double the efforts. Amen. But he's not going to quit on you. Jesus promises to keep us saved. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. It is he that justifies, not me. If you're saved, you're his son or his daughter and that's the way he's going to stay. Hallelujah. So I put hallelujah right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, what is it that I have to do to stay saved? Rest. Just enjoy. Folks, we live in such a a a entertainment, fleshly, carnal, me world that we can't understand what rest is. If we could go back 100 years where we had to work 12 and 14 hours a day just to put food on the table. If we had to work to to, to milk the cows and to, to pull the calves, if you don't know what that means, I'm not explaining. If you had to work for 14 hours a day to to fix the roofs and to build sheds and to plow and to plant and to weed and to harvest, if you had to work and then somebody said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, you would be glad. And if somebody said, you can rest in salvation, you'd be super glad because you've never known rest. But we, we've never known work. You have no idea what it would mean for you to try to keep the law. You have no idea what it's like to break your back trying to do every jot and tittle. When you finally realize just how much you have been given in Christ, that you can just sit back and enjoy the day. You can enjoy the storm. You never were responsible for saving yourself to begin with, and you are not now responsible for keeping yourself saved now. So rest in such a great gift as the forgiveness of your sins. Go to Isaiah chapter 30, and it's our last verse. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. This is a good one to memorize, to circle, to put a star around, to put a box around. This is in a, a time where Israel is surrounded by enemies and constantly terrorizing them. Listen to what Isaiah 30, verse 15 says. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning to me, and what's the next word? And in resting. That's just, you've trusted, now rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be all the strength you need. And yet, what would they not do? They wouldn't rest. They would not rest. And they ended up over and over, fleeing and running away and being conquered and being defeated simply because they couldn't rest. And there are many Christians who bail out and they, they burn out and they flare out and they give out because they can't rest. That it's done. That it's done. That it's done. Next week, I'll show you all the people in the Bible who should have lost their salvation and they didn't. I'll also expose modern confusion that are in the new Bibles and the new doctrines. Next week I'll show you what actually happens when we do sin. By the way, we don't get away with it. We don't get away with sin. God doesn't have to send you to hell to put the fear of God in you. And then I'll focus on the judgment seat of Christ. And that will be the day you will wake up to, you know, I need to live my life seriously. Not because I'm going to hell Because I will face Jesus Christ and I have no answer for all the gifts He gave me and I've blown them. We'll talk about that next week. Right now, we are guilty. Before we get saved, before we're born again, we deserve God's judgment. And yet God did all the necessary work to give us eternal life. It's all found in His Son. It's not in the church. It's not in penance. It's not in the confessional. It's in Jesus Christ. It is a once for all eternal and secure relationship I have with Jesus now. They that have been saved will remain saved forever. Or else it ain't salvation. How's that sound to you? How's that sound to you? If I wasn't saved today, you see pastor, you're, you're a pastor. If I wasn't saved today, I'd get saved today. I don't want to go to hell. about you. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads in prayer. No talking. No looking around. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. You know, the devil will give you everything to think about except what you need to think about. What you need to think about is death right now. And yeah, they got morphine. They got counselors. The world's got Everything. Sort of smooth over that fear, but let me tell you there's no way to take away that fear outside of Jesus Christ. He died to take away the power of death over a believer. Has he taken that away from you? Has he given you himself? If he has, and your life ought to show it. I mean, you can't be married and it'd be hidden. That is, if you love her. You can't you, you you can't hide Christ in your life. If he's there, it'll show. Don't let all the confusion and all the stuff go through your head about am I really saved? Am I am I living it? Am I good enough? Settle it. It is finished. I'm not living it. I'm messing up. But because of Christ, I constantly come to him and say, Lord, keep me from falling. Keep me from messing up. Make me more like your son. Make me make me a Christian. I may be saved, but I want to be a full fledged walking, and talking. Christian. He'll give it to you. He already gave you eternal life. Let him give you assurance and rest now. Father, I pray that uh, these words weren't too thick, too much. I pray they would settle some very, very important, foundational, fundamental doctrine. That it's by faith alone that we're saved. And it's by grace alone that we are kept. Never is it of works. It can't be. Yeah, there's some little questions and issues, but wow, it's been settled because it is finished. I pray that we would settle it in our hearts and we'd live like we're saved. We'd live like we belong to you. We're not our own anymore. We're bought with a price. I don't have to stay saved. But I ought to glorify God in my body and in my spirit. Pray that we would. I pray that we would realize this puts a whole new light on how I'm supposed to live. I don't live to get forgiven. I don't live to be righteous. I live to glorify Jesus. Pray that we do. By your grace in Jesus name. Amen.